Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. All right, today's sermon text is from Genesis 22, 1 through 19. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Genesis in your Bible. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you, and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies, and by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. That's the uh, word of the Lord for us today. Thank you, Sam. Well, this week's passage is uh, maybe disturbing. Uh, I I don't know if you feel that way about it. And um, in my finer moments, I say, yes, we will tackle this difficult story because it's in the Bible, and we should look at it, right? Um, and in my less moments, I'm like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Because, uh, well, as we've been saying from the very beginning of our study of Genesis, like, that the, the Bible asks a whole lot more questions than it does provide answers. And, and this is one of those passages, to say the least, that I think, uh, well, just has a lot of questions to it. Um, I'm, I'm going to warn you right up front uh, I, I do think there's a point here for us, something for us to, to learn and for us to be encouraged towards. Uh, 
but I wanna, I'm going to say things like maybe and perhaps quite a bit today, uh, at least towards the end. I think it's okay sometimes to sit with the mystery of Scripture, uh, to, to rest in, in the fact that even though this may not make complete sense to us in, in the way God worked, uh, that God non, nonetheless is working in that story for the sake of creation, um, but that it, God is also working in that story for our sake as well. Um, and it has something to, to teach to us. Um, so w- with that being said, uh, I want to kind of remind us where we have been. Uh, so the, the book of Genesis begins with God creating the world, and, and everything was really, really good. And finally he creates Adam and Eve, and he says they're, they're very, very good. And he gives them a command to go and be fruitful and to multiply. Uh, Genesis tells us that humanity is created in the image of God. Uh, that in some way that you and I reflect who God is in God's love and God's character and God's faithfulness. And, and I've come to believe as we've studied Genesis and I've done a lot of some other work just personally that, that this command to be fruitful and multiply is not just about having more children, about populating the earth or anything like that, because now there's like 8 billion of us on planet Earth, I think is what I, what I heard the other day. Uh, but that it is about multiplying the image of God that has been created in us. Uh, that as we, as we work and live in our world, uh, that people would see um, the character of God in us, that, that extreme faithfulness and love and grace and mercy and we do that, we, we multiply, well, we, we, partly we do that by having kids and raising them uh, to be faithful, this, which is why, y'all, our kids are so important. Uh, they're so important because they are our oh, ability, part of our ability to multiply the image of God in the world as we together raise our kids to be people who, who love God and who hopefully love their neighbor as themselves as well. Uh, so I think that's, that's how I understand this. And, and the story goes on, and uh, it turns out, though, that we aren't very good at, um, well, multiplying the image of God in us, the, the best parts of us. It seems like more often than not, uh, we pass on the worst parts of us, uh, our, uh, our selfishness, our greed, our desire for, for power and notori- notoriety. Um, and, and that plays out in the first couple of stories of Genesis in in uh, Cain killing Abel and in, in the story of Noah and the flood, God begins again as he kind of wipes things clean to start. And, and in, in that moment, in the Noah story, God gives Noah again multiple times this command to go and be fruitful and multiply. Uh, while the image of God uh, language isn't necessarily there, it's, it's there in the background, I believe, and it's part of continued what God is continuing to, to tar- charge humanity with. Uh, this is, um, it, it continues to get worse. The, the flood didn't fix human brokenness, and, and so God begins to work uh, in a new way. And he calls, uh, well, he calls a, a couple, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, first, there's kind of a metaphor that, that, that I think is important as we talk about being fruitful and multiplying, and it, it begins to emerge in this Abraham and Sarah story. And that, that's barrenness. Uh, that the, the, le- the result of our inability to be fruitful and multiply in the image of God 
causes the world to be broken. And it causes us not to be able to, to produce the things, the, the image of God in others that we should. Now, I think when we looked at that story, I want to be very explicit that if you've ever struggled, or if you know someone who struggled with infertility, that this is not what that's talking about. Uh, barrenness as a metaphor, as, as just the, the absence of life. I, I think if you, if you look hard enough at yourself in your own life, you've had those times where you could say, that was a barren time. Where, where things were just bleak and dark and and you couldn't see the possibility of, of the situation maybe being any different than, than it was. Uh, but God comes and he speaks in the midst of this barrenness, this barrenness for this old couple, couple, Abraham and Sarah, and he says, I am going to bring life, I am going to bring life out of nothingness. In the same way that God brings all the things together out of nothingness for creation and creates Adam and Eve and all of that, God is going to work again in Abraham and Sarah to bring about life. Since they will be, it's, it's not really a command this time, it's a promise. Uh, God says to Abraham and Sarah, in your barrenness, I promise that you will be able to go forth and be fruitful and multiply. That the image of God that you are created in will begin, will begin to populate the whole earth and through you and through your children, the whole world will be blessed. That's the, that's the trajectory, I believe, firmly believe, of the entirety of the Old Testament. It is God working through the barrenness of people and places and promising life uh, where there wasn't any. We have a problem, as did Abraham and Sarah. We have a lack of imagination. Uh, this is kind of another metaphor that I think is really important uh, as we look at scripture, and has been for me personally, that, that in that darkness and that brokenness and that barrenness, we, we fail to be able to imagine that God can bring life and fruitfulness from it. Uh, and so we, we struggle. We struggle along. Um, but despite all of that, despite all of that, despite our inability to imagine what God is doing, God has still called us. God has still promised us that that when we give ourselves, that God will be, f- that we will be fruitful and multiply in the best, fullest kind of way. That we will be agents of propagating the world with people who look more and more like Jesus. That's, that's where we've been, and uh, that's where we're going, I think, as a, as, as a people, as what God is calling us to do, and so we ask this question, what, is God, what might God be calling us to do we, all the time? And besides loving God and loving our uh, neighbors as ourselves, I think it is uh, God is always calling us to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, th- that maybe that means numerically in our church, but it definitely means that the world around us might see in us the nature and character of God as goodness and faithfulness. That's why we sang those songs we did this morning. We testified to God's faithfulness in our lives, in the lives of our friends, in the lives of our church, in the lives of uh, all of God's people. Well, it's in the midst of, 
thinking about all of that, that we get to this story. We get to Abraham and Sarah who have had a rocky ride to get to this point, right? They, in their own lack of imagination, they've, they've both laughed at God's promise of having a child. Uh, they, they also try to grasp the situation and make it, uh, well, they try to take control of the situation and bring forth life uh, on their own power. And that just, it causes a mess. Well, God is finally faithful, though, and in their old age, Abraham and Sarah have uh, Isaac. Abraham and Isaac, yeah. I always get them all mixed up. Uh, finally, the, 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 the fruit of God's promise. Uh, the thing that they have longed for for so long is, is there. And we don't know necessarily how old all of them are at this particular point. But we come to this story, and, and in the midst of life fulfilled and hope fulfilled, we have Jesus, or God come by and saying to Abraham, by the way, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to go and kill him as a sacrifice for me. Again, the disturbingness of, of this story. Now, it, it may have been something that was nominally kind of accepted in the culture around where Abraham was, but it's still, I mean, we still kind of read it through our own lens. Um, and, and you would think that, that Abraham in this particular moment would say, what, what in the world, God? Like, we've been through this. We, we had no idea what was going. We, we trusted you, and, and now you're telling us to take the fruit of your promise to us and to go snuff it out before it even really gets going. Uh, remarkably, uh, Abraham gets up the next day doesn't put it off. And he uh, gathers up his son and a donkey and some firewood and some servants. And he heads off to go make this thing happen. Uh, we had a debate in Bible, stu- uh, Bible study as to whether Abraham told Sarah what God told him to do or not. Uh, my guess is that I think we decided that maybe he didn't. <laughs> uh, because you mothers... Um, well, you, not that fathers aren't protective of their babies, but mothers are for sure. That's part of who you are. So Abraham goes, and they're, they're, they get to the place where they're going to kind of leave the servants behind, and uh, they, he piles the wood on Isaac's back, and they take off. Abraham's got the knife and the fire, And while they're walking, Isaac says, look, Dad, we've got the wood, we've got the knife, we've got the fire. Where's where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And I don't don't know what's going through Abraham's mind. They've had like three days maybe to walk this thing. I don't know what he's had discussion-wise with his son or what the monologue or dialogue is between, between Abraham and God. But I can't imagine that Abraham is feeling all of that great. Uh... I always try to, to put myself into the story, like to try to understand where these characters are coming from and, and how they might feel. And, and I have to admit that if, if this were me, like all of my worst feelings would be happening. Like I, I would probably, I would probably be curled up in the fetal position on the back of the donkey and they would have had to like cut new wood because they had to leave it behind because like it's just, that's just where I would have been in, in, thinking about my own children. 
Abraham's response, though, is, I don't worry about it. God's going to provide. And so they, they, they go, and, and they keep going, and they finally get to the place, and they throw the wood on the ground, and Abraham builds a little altar, and uh, I, I just don't even know how you do this. He takes his son, and he ties him up, and he throws him on the top of this thing underneath, uh, over top of the wood, and he's, he's, he's about to do his son in. Again, I don't know how you get to that. There's something, I guess we call it faith. And, and as in my mind, I, I, it may not have been this way. I don't know. I imagine Abraham with his hand raised high and the knife, and he's about to. And all of a sudden, God calls out and says, Abraham, Abraham. Like, now I know. Now I know that you, you're going to be faithful. Uh, truth be told, Abraham, to this point, maybe... Well, he's been faithful. He's followed God obediently. He's, he's also made a couple of detours here and there that have gotten him in, into a little bit of trouble. I don't know. I don't know uh, the mind of God. It seems to me fairly twisted to ask someone to do this to their son. That's just, that's just kind of where I am. Um, and so I have to stop and ask myself this question. Why in the world did Abraham go along with this? And maybe how much counseling will Isaac need in the future? I, I, think, I think what, what Abraham has done, uh, he, has, he has looked in his past and he has seen over and again God's faithfulness to the promise that God had given to him. God's faithful protection and provision. And, and that, in, in that in that what surely must have been a dark, dark moment that Abraham looked back and he said, I don't know how this is going to work out. I really hope it doesn't mean the death of my child. But I have faith that God will be faithful. It's not blind faith. I, I, sometimes I think, I think we the, as a church, uh, church in general, big church, universal church, um, want people to just have faith. Like, just, just believe it. You just, you just gotta have faith. You know, like if you, if, and some traditions, like, if you only had faith, then this wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened. Like we, we want just the, the faith to be there. And, and I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that faith in America is kind of like, well, it's, it's kind of like talk. It's really cheap. Uh, but the faith that Abraham has, and I think the faith that God is calling us to, is not just this blind uncritical, fully accepting without anything kind of faith. I think it is always, is always a faith that is rooted in the past faithfulness of God. It's rooted in the things that God has done in our, 
our own lives to bring about salvation and healing and restoration. And, and I know that, that not everybody has a, a phenomenal story where they've been you know, crazy saved from sin and, and all of those things, but uh, yeah. but we're called then because, because Christianity isn't an individual thing. That's the other side of faith. I think sometimes the church has made us want to see that it's, it's only about you and your faith. When I think the faith that God calls us to is always about our faith. That you and I are unable, incapable, perhaps of having the faith that we need in God apart from the person that you're sitting next to. Apart from your parents who maybe have lived exemplarily faithful lives. Apart from uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters and dear friends. Apart from the old Sunday school lady who constantly gives testimony to the faithfulness of God. I think that the, the faith that this passage calls us to, and I think the faith the, entire, the entirety of Scripture calls us to is, is a faith of looking back towards the things that God has done, uh, knowing that in God's nature, he's not going to change. That, that God's nature is, is always one of faithfulness, of commitment, of steadfast love, of keeping promises, Past behavior, I think, becomes indicators of future behavior. Eh, it doesn't always work out with us, right? Because we can change, hopefully. But I think it's always true with God. The in, in the call and the command to be fruitful and multiply. To spread the image and character of God all over the world that God issues this promise of faithfulness to us. And that we can look back, we can look back on all those people I already mentioned, but we can look back on scripture and say, God's faithfulness is there. And because God has been faithful, then, then I, I can have faith. Even if it's just a little bit. Uh, maybe it's not like go on a mountain and sacrifice your only son kind of faith. And, and I, I, I don't want to make you feel like that's the faith you've got to have because that's not where you are in your journey, perhaps. Uh, but I think that wherever we are in our current moment, in, in our relationship with God, in our place in life, and, and the thoughts we have and the doubts we have that that we begin to be able to have a little bit of faith because of the people we are surrounded by, because of their stories, because of the story of our church and the story of Scripture, which testifies to God's great faithfulness, which testifies to the hope that we have for God's coming again to make all things right.
I suppose it testifies to Jesus' nature as king of the world, Christ the king, the maker and sustainer of all things, who is working even now to bring about healing and restoration. I, uh, I hope uh, all of the disturbingness of this passage aside, that I hope that you will be able to have maybe just a, a little bit greater of a degree of faith in the God who created us. Faith in the God who created us in his image and now calls us to live with that image and faithfulness and goodness and grace. But I hope, too, that in our weakest moments, when everything is bad, when we have a profound lack of imagination in what God can do to bring about life in the midst of barrenness, that we can look to each other, we can look to the church through time, and we look to the story of Scripture, and, uh, and in one of my favorite lines from the Gospel, of I was was it we did Mark last year uh, I believe help my unbelief I was a a father when he was confronted by Jesus' ability to heal his child I believe help my unbelief I think well the repeat of being redundant uh, the risk of it anyway that the way that God helps our unbelief is through each other, through the church, and through the story that we seek to tell every week. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And, uh, and this story, like this meal, part of the reason we do this every week is because I need it. I need the reminder of God's faithfulness. Um, but, but I think the story that we tell every week, even in its different parts, points, it points to Jesus and God's faithfulness to us. So that in, in a way that when we pray something like, I believe, help my unbelief, we come to this meal, we see that God gave the very best of himself to defeat sin and death and the barrenness that it creates, to bring about new life for you, and your family, your church, and the world around you. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.